Are dents and scratches putting a dent in your day? Introducing Rogerstein Crash Repairs Adelaide, your trusted solution for automotive woes. With over two decades of expertise, Rogerstein Crash Repairs guarantees top-notch service, restoring your vehicle to its former glory in no time. From minor dings to major collisions, our skilled technicians handle it all with precision and care using state-of-the-art equipment and techniques. Rogerstein Crash Repairs saved my car. It looks brand new. Fast, friendly and reliable. I wouldn't trust anyone else with my vehicle. Don't let accidents slow you down. Visit Rogerstein Crash Repairs Adelaide at 14 Penner Avenue, Glind for quality service you can count on. And here's a special offer just for our listeners. Mention this podcast and receive a $100 discount on your repair. Roger Steen Crash Repairs Adelaide. Excellence in every repair. Welcome to Five Good Minutes in the Clubhouse today. Um, even though it is five minutes, we do go a little bit longer, but we have some very special guests and we, we love to hear them talk about their career. We might change this who are past players and past yes, legends, I reckon, yes, yes. over the next couple of weeks. But today's special guest, Martin Leslie, formerly from the Port Adelaide Footy Club, uh, heading up to the Brisbane Bears. Uh, welcome, Martin. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Welcome, Marty. So, traditional uh, Port Adelaide, growing up in the area, Semaphore, Largs Bay, etc. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely, sort of grounded down down that way. Born at Semaphore, was born there at the Lefevre Hospital, and um, and then um, we lived a year at Semaphore, and then we moved a long, long way away to Largs Bay, <laughs> and then another long, long way away to Largs North. So. Um, uh, mum, mum passed away when I was 16, uh, so and my sisters were a bit older, and Dad and I decided to move to Alberton you know, because he was from Rosewater, at, um, which is next door. So, yeah, yeah so pretty much um, lived and breathed down there, guys, yeah, for, uh, for the first 20-odd years. Yep. Adelaide heartland out there, that's for sure. You could have nearly walked with each move, uh, not having to worry about driving the, each move, Marty. <laughs> Well, he would have, he should have whacked them on and bloody uh, all our stuff in a shopping trolley and, yeah, down the road. <laughs> well, you're lucky yeah. at Port Adelaide it didn't get pinched. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Mate, where did, uh, where, where did you play your junior footy? Obviously in that area, but which which was your home club? I start well, I, uh, seven, seven years old, I started playing, uh, like, football for Taparoo, which were based – at the North Haven Oval now, yeah, right. you guys know that. Mm-hmm. So Taparoo used to have that ground, and I used to live probably half a k away from there, if that, uh, in between that oval and probably um, uh, Fort Lawrence Police Academy. So I was down there at seven years old, and I promise you, uh, seven years old playing in under-11s, went down there, Taparoo, at the time, had four teams in one grade under 11. So Port Adelaide at the time, there was about 14 teams in the comp uh, for, say, under 11s, and Taparoo had four of them, which was uh, unbelievable. I didn't, you know, I didn't really take much notice at the time, but looking back was crazy. There were so many many kids down that way. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, well, at least you didn't have to travel far to play. No, I, I didn't, unless we played at Ingle Farm or Paraka, because we used to play against yep. them guys back in those days. And um, I reckon I got two kicks in the first year I played. 
And I promise you, that's, uh, you know, I remember going off the ground and saying, I've got a kick and um, thinking I was pretty happy. And, you know, uh, and that's the truth because uh, the kids were three three years older, maybe four years older, and it just pushed me out of the way. Oh, that's um, a huge difference at that as a little kid then. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so I uh, ended up only playing one year then, and my next-door neighbour wanted to go to Ethelton. And uh, so I thought, well, I'm, I can't get a kick at Taparoo. We might have another go, go there. So I uh, went to Ethelton in 1971 when I was about eight. Um, so I'm born late in the year. And, um, uh, yeah, I ended up sort of, you know, after a couple of years, won a couple of association awards out there and, my my rivals are Bruce Abernathy, who played for Wingfield, then Rosewater and Rossi Aegis and yeah. um, and a few of those guys. So Rossi played for Rosies, and I reckon um, Bruce was playing for Wingfield, then went to Rosewater. So yeah, we sort of basically basically grew up together. Played against um, uh, Tony Antrobus, David yeah. Robertson, who were both Ingle Farm. So yes. they're all we're all the sort of same same era. Uh, yeah, so it was great memories, really. You know, it was fantastic back in those days. There were so many, so many teams to play against. And if you if you look for those sides now, uh, the Mount Carmels were there. That was part of Rosewater, but you know uh, they were a team. And Summerford Park, they're no longer. Ethelton, my old team, no longer. Uh, gee, there's um, you know obviously as the demographics change of population. Um, yeah. Probably about half of those teams are not around anymore, or even more, I'd say. And so from your junior days, uh, progressing, obviously, to Port Adelaide, 17s, 19s, and then making your league debut in 81? Yeah. yeah. Memories um, of your league debut? Not great. Um, I was basically taught, you know, if I'm playing back lines, and Dad used to say this to me, like, well, if he doesn't get a kick, son, and you only get one or whatever, you've done your job. So uh, I was a little bit of a stickler to that when I was um, younger. My first A-grade game was against Westies at Richmond Oval. And uh, I stood, uh, being the putchy uh, Greg Phillips, being sent yeah. half back, Tony Giles on the flank, maybe a Peter Hoffner on the other side, yeah. Ivan Eckerman, um, Trevor Sol, I reckon, yes. uh, was full back then. Um, yeah, uh, I uh, stood Dirk De Jong and Dexter Kennedy. You're giving away a bit of height there. Yeah, well, Dexter was pretty cool, mate, because he uh, he's a sort of a he's a mate of mine. He played with uh, Port Adelaide, and yeah, he looked after me, mate. He was <laughs> good bloke. Good bloke, <laughs> right, Dexter, pretty laid back. You know, Lovely man, lovely man. So uh, probably only troubled the scoreboard for touches about six or seven times that day. But um, I just learned a lot from from the guys I played with, uh, you know, especially um, Greg Phillips. Just watched him because I was end up being a centre back myself yeah. for a while. But just sort of watched how he read the play. Uh, Greg Phillips was a great reader of the play. He could. Can work out that he'd always stand his man, like he'd sometimes be five or ten metres away from his man, and I'm going, how come he keeps on getting the ball all the time? Oh. So uh, he was a very good reader of the play. Tony Giles was uh, an exceptional sort of um, hard man, you know, yes. straight at it. Not a lot of skill, but straight through. Ivan Eckerman, very much the same, and 
but obviously playing with Russell Ebert and Brian Cunningham and being coached by John Cale. Uh, well, you know, like you, for the three people I've just said, you know, if you want to look to people who you, you know, you want to learn off, pretty much just by by watching them, watching what they do, uh, was um, just a great learning experience. You know, you, you know, oh, I never Phillips. really had to ask a lot of questions, guys. I never, I didn't yeah. really have to ask too many questions. Oh, what do I do here? I used to, I used to just watch, watch people, and the way. So Russell and Brian, who were lucky, who were um, playing at the time, the way they looked after their injuries, you know, the way they did this and that, and the professionalism just off the field in the training track, like, you know, having ice and doing the right thing. And then John Cale, the way um, the way he coached and, and how professional they were. So it was, you didn't realise it at the time. But looking back, it was like a, you know, it was like going to school, like the footy school, really. So, yeah, oh, you know, you great memories. Some of the absolute greats, yeah, like Greg Phillips. Greg Phillips is the best reader of the of a ball I've seen. You know, he he's my best ever centre half back. And look, Bucky Cunningham, totally unique. He's the only player in footy history where he kicked for goal, depending on which foot on where he was on the ground. You know, no one's ever done that since as, as a set shot. He was just – he was a freak. There's people out there just don't realise. He, he's one of the all-time greats as well. What an apprenticeship. Oh. <laughs> well, you know, you're dead right. When um, you play, you know, you played with Bucky, he was such a <laughs> – he was my teacher at Taparoo High for a of couple of years. Yes. Well, all the girls used to pervert his bum. You know, all the fourteen-year-old girls. <laughs> all they was, all they do, they they didn't learn a thing. They used to pervert his bum. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, I didn't really understand that at the time, but you know, they thought it was all right. Um, but Bucky, um, just a lovely guy, a gentleman, and um, uh, it was as courageous as they came. So, uh, you know, it was just a, you know, again. <laughs> Say those three names: um, Paul, yeah. Greg Phillips, John Carl, Bucky Cunningham, Russell Levitt. You know, it's uh, it's pretty easy to learn off. And I know, I know Malcolm that Norwood had. Um, you know, their John Wins and, and Gary McIntoshes, and and I, and I don't worry. I respect those guys as well immensely. And um, so we're all very lucky. A oh, great era of footy. Nick, second. So you played four games in '81. 82 established yourself and had a um, pretty unfortunate end of the year. And let's be honest, I will say as a Nord supporter, Greg Turbo, 82 second semi nowadays would have probably got six to eight games back then. Nothing. Go through that uh, memories of that day, mate. Yeah. Uh, I thought about that the other day, Mac, when you, uh, when you brought that up, um, because before the, you know, I had a, a broken sesamoid bone uh, uh, that year, and also I, I got another one the next year. So if you, I don't know if you noticed, I only played two games in 1983. Yep. Uh, sesamoid bones is pretty much the bone that's about two inches below your big toe or an inch below your big toe. And so before the match of um, of '82, uh, I had a couple of needles in the sesamoid bone just to deaden the foot. And because uh, it was, uh, oh, and I, I don't know, it's when you've got a broken bone in your foot, it's just a bit of a struggle. Um, I'm not having a whinge here at all. I should, I I, to be honest, I should never have played, uh, but I um, end up 
remember having the needle on my foot, I couldn't feel it in the first quarter. So when you're actually running and you can't feel your foot, it was ridiculous, to be honest. And I'm, I look back and I'm sort of half in a way, I'm so glad I got knocked out. <laughs> I'm knocked over by Greg Turbill just to get me off the field because I I really felt, um, you know, very ordinary and thinking, hell, what what am I doing out here? And um, so it wasn't a, the second semi wasn't a great one because I end up at three-quarter time. I listened to the end of the game in hospital at Queen Elizabeth and um, – because Greg gave me a cheekbone in. Yes. And so what they did, they actually cut my cheek to try and pull it out, you know, they, um, but they couldn't pull my cheekbone out. They they end up going up through my mouth and pushing it out from the inside. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so, you know, as I said to Malcolm the other day, um, you know, and – Admired Greg Turbill, don't don't worry. I don't, I, I admire the Warriors, and he was one of those. But he was a bit cheeky the next time he saw me, about a year or so later, and you know, and he looked up at me, and because he was only what five foot ten or whatever Greg was, and you know, he was a bit cheeky. And I've gone, mm, okay, <laughs> six and, uh, six weeks. Uh, I think that might be a bit light <laughs> these days. Yeah, well, I remember actually watching it on uh, the channel or whatever whatever it was, the news on a Monday night, and I've just gone, wow, now I've seen it. Yeah, like, um, yeah, so so you remember it, um, you know. And anyway, that's that was football those days, and none of us were angels. And, uh, you know, I still treat, you know, my foes in those days as, uh, as good people. I treat people the way I'm, I'd like to be treated. Um, when it came to football, though, maybe different. <laughs> Oh, we will get onto the famous. We will get onto the famous Victorian one, one in a minute. Let's go through. Look, nineteen eighty four. It is one of the all time great grand finals. But I will be honest. Uh, Nord were, and I know Neville was pleasantly surprised when you weren't when you uh, weren't his opponent up, yeah. that day. Thoughts with that? Uh-huh. You know, I get it. Let's stick to your original side. You're the dominant centre half back, etc. But not lining up on Nord's key player when you were their port's best defender that that day. Thoughts there, mate? Yeah, um, yeah. Um, I've, it's it's a hard one because I'm starting to think because I played centre half back all year that year. I don't think I I'd moved from centre half back one time in that year, if I remember. And and all of a sudden in a grand final. You know, you'd go to, um, you know, you'd mess up your team. Surely, sometimes you'd think that, um, yeah, you know, Neville Roberts, an absolute star. Jim Michael Annie wasn't a bad player either, mind you. Yeah, piano, um, piano was a very good player. His, yep. His son, yep. son becomes an AFL player in a week's time. So, yeah. And who's who's got him? Probably the Crows. Yeah, he'll be a father-son. He played, he qualifies Jim qualifies for his Nord games by three games for him to be a father-son selection. So, yeah. Great, great. Yeah. So um, I'll tell you a little funny story there. Like I could start darting off. Um, I used to, you know, like, I'm not an arborist anymore. I still am, but I'm, I'm not in that game. And I was up at Sejuna School doing an arborist report. And had to have a chat with the, the, the headmaster there, and it was Jim Michael. Yes. So I hadn't seen him since. 
you know, basically, because he probably retired around that time. Would that be right? Mid-80s, yes. I think. Yeah, mid-80s, yeah. His last game was at the Reserves Premiership side. I think it was 80. It's either 85 or 86. I don't think it was 86, but yes. Yep. Yeah. So uh, I remember uh, sort of just uh, you know touching base in the in the you know in the office there at the school, and I've had to do a report on the on their trees for safety and for fire and all that sort of thing. And uh, so I ended up sort of Jim came out, and I said, Jim Martin Leslie, he said, Oh, how are you going, Martin? You know, and you know, very decent chap as you know most of us are when we're off the field. And and his uh, assistant, his deputy, was coming along with us, and I said to her. And I can't remember her name now. I said, you know what? In a grand final, your headmaster squeezed me by the nuts. <laughs> and uh, he said, Jim, you didn't. <laughs> and, we, had a, we had a bit of a to-do there because he actually gave me a good squeeze and um, I, gave, I gave him a little bit of a clip. You know, and, uh, and that was really funny, you know, that uh, the interaction between her and him. You did not, Jim. Surely, you don't know, worry. Uh, that's stored in the memory bank when I next speak to Jim, mate. Yes. Yeah, no, we'll do that. Uh, pass that one on when you see him, because I did bring that up, and uh, yeah, but no, Jim. Jim was a good player. Yeah, I, I don't look back as that was a, a bad decision. I, I, I think what we did probably there uh, in that grand final was, and Maxie James was a great footballer of the seventies. He played his first game of the year of A grade yes. in in the grand, grand final. final. Uh, that wasn't fantastic. Uh, in my opinion, um, but, uh, and we had, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Benny Harris was our fullback, and he done his ankle in the second semi. Yeah, but one other thing that I think that um, we heard as well, I think that was pretty well done by Barmy. He came out with a little bit of oof and boof, and yeah. and we retaliated. And um, yeah, it's always the ones who retaliate. So it was a fully Fairly clever start with um, with the Tim Evans and yep. and Craig Mum, that sort of stuff going on, and you know I thought that we were always confident, and obviously Nord were as well to win the game. But you know I just thought uh, looking back, there was a lot of things that we did when it came to a bit of retaliation that we instead of actually just you know hitting the ball and not worrying about the man, yeah, that we probably could have learned a bit yeah. about. Yeah, there was no yeah. doubt Nord did suck. And, you know, that was uh, the late Ian Stasnowski's idea. It was him and Greg Nicholson came up with that idea yep. for Tim. And, yeah, it worked. And, yeah, we sacked Dwayne Russell in a couple of times. And, yeah, it was very much a case of the retaliators got caught. And, yeah. And I think also one of the last times that uh, teams lined up in positions rather than uh, that was across the, the green. Time. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So. Yeah. What for the, uh, that's right, for the national uh, anthem. For the, the anthem. national anthem, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's correct. Yeah, um, yeah. No, sorry, I just uh, Miguel's just walked out. She's just uh, having a bit of a chat, and I said, "Oh well, you've had too much of a chat tonight. You can, you know, was back in there." <laughs> <laughs> mate, mo- moving along, uh, nineteen eighty six, mate, you win the uh, John Cale uh, Medal. Or Port's uh, best no. and fairest. Sorry, no. Port's best uh, and fairest. Yeah, the, the Bob McLean. Actually, Bob McLean. Sorry, my apologies. Yeah, no, no, and um, Greg Anderson still thinks that oh, I ripped him off. 
So, uh, yeah, you can talk to Greg about that and to say, do you reckon you should have won the 86? Well, he won the, he won the McGarry. So, and, um, but I, I actually I was up in Darwin playing football at the time because I just wanted to, you know, just to get away, have your holiday, and then probably try and stay fit at the same time. Not that you, yeah, well, it's funny. I went to Darwin. I reckon I drank bloody 12 beers every day at least, and then it came back four kilos lighter. So um, I came back and, uh, in the, you know, I like kept the okay. end of 80s. Yeah, end of 87, I was as fit as hell, like, uh, because uh, you can't really go from Darwin with the air so thick and you sweat so much, and we did do a little bit of training up there, and uh, came back and everyone said, you've just been off at a training camp. I said, well, yeah, yeah, okay, I've been off at a training camp, but it was a really good trip, and um, I was up there when I when they rang me. Uh, and said that I won the vote, the one that on the last vote of the night. So I still, you know, when it comes up, I still say to Ando, yeah, just bad luck about that, isn't it, old boy? Nothing wrong with that. Let's go to the and night. Then, Let's go to the night where you became the hero of South Australia. Go for that game, mate. G'day, Dermy. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I don't know. It's been, you know, everyone. Uh, to be honest, like. Always says, oh, you know, I remember you, you know, Derek Burton, and you know, and, and I just, yeah, well, that's sort of nice to be remembered for something. But sometimes you just go, well, I did play, you know, a few games as well, you know, but you know, the whole thing about playing for Portland and about playing for South Australia was about you playing for your, you know, when you're playing for your club, yep. you're playing for your mates. And you're playing for the supporters. So a lot of people don't, I don't know, people don't sort of say that too much. I used to play for my supporters because, you know what, I used to mix with them a lot. Good I was days, usually up mate. the club. Yeah, exactly. The good old days. Yeah, we're really missing that these so. days, aren't we? Yep. Yeah. So I know uh, Gary McIntosh I've had, you know, quite a few beers back in the day with and uh, just a sort of guy that I'd love to play football with. Every every time I played, um, but he's the sort of guy who's the same. He's the same. He's uh, you know I used to play for the people who rolled up, and so uh, that was it. You know when you sort of you're playing for your for your state, well then uh, and she's on, well then she's on. You know and the thing is that um, if someone's gonna you know have a crack, well you know you're playing some half back. You know, so you, you know, you're you're a, you're a pillar of, of defence. What are you going to do? Roll over, or are you going to have a crack? And so that's that's what I I did. But I I did it for my team, and I did it for my mates, and I did it for the supporters, and I did it for South Australia. And don't, if you got that sort of going with you, surely uh, that's enough. Oh look, I think it was I think it was great. I think Dermot Brereton, he just thought he's gonna intimidate this guy and this guy won't do anything and uh, you've given him back more more than what, what he got and I th- I thought it was great that it put him back in his spot exactly where he should have been. Yeah, yeah, and uh and, you know, and you know, I was lauded for all that and all that sort of stuff, but I remember one of my teammates and I won't say his name and I'm not and I'm not <laughs> I don't disrespect this guy, but his name won't come up. And he said, "Oh, geez, I'm glad you were, you did that because I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't have done that." I've just gone, "Yeah, well, I'm glad I fucking stood him then." 
Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yep. Um, yep. You know, that's that's because I would have liked, you know, if you're gonna if you put your body on the line, all you're asking is the other seventeen or eighteen blokes that's on the team do the same. You know, isn't isn't that all you ask for? Oh, I couldn't you know, agree. Couldn't agree more. Yep. It's playing for the correct reason, not the dollar. Playing for the correct reason. Look, mate. Yeah, well, the dollar wasn't, the dollar wasn't so so good at the time, so no, it didn't uh, really. A few drinks at the really end of the game, and that's about it. Matty, I yeah. do want to I do want to ask you about a famous game. Look, obviously a game which a lot of different emotions, etc. But look, and then how, how Port Adelaide handled it immediately, how Foss and Jack handled it immediately afterwards, and all that side. You know, Jack handled it to go to Foss's, but the the Anthony Williams game. Your memory, oh, your memories. Okay, there, my memory of that. All right, you want my memory of the Anthony Williams game? So Anthony is one of the nicest people I ever met. So what happened back in the? That was in 1988. Okay. So back in the early in the early 1980s, late 70s, early 90s, I grew up and played a lot of junior football with, with Stephen, especially. Yeah. Um, I've been played a lot of. I played thirty B grade games, thirty, forty. I can't remember now. Um, uh, to try and break into that team of the nineties, you know, the, the early eighties at Port Adelaide, I won three in a row, and uh, spent a lot of time with Anthony and a lot of time with Stephen. And we used to go up to Murray River and do a lot of skiing together. Anthony was the sort of guy that if you had it, ever had a problem, uh, he'd say, "Just give me a call." Um, not that I, you know, needed to too much, but he was great with working on people's cars and that sort of stuff. I was living in Woodville, living in the same street at the time as um, same street as David Granger, because uh, I was looking after my sister's house at Windsor Avenue, Woodville, for a year because they were uh, running a deli, and it was my last year in, in Adelaide. And David was a mate of mine. David was a you know misunderstood sort of person, but anyway, we won't go there. Uh, but I was down the Arndale Shopping Centre, and it was about lunchtime on a Friday yeah. the day before the Norwood game, and I heard on the radio because they had the the news on, and I was just doing the shopping at Arndale, and I heard that. Uh, the guy had um, been squashed by a, a brick wall at Glenelg, Glenelg South yeah, or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah. And uh, and I've, you know, I'm redoing his house and I've just gone, hmm, you know, and I've just, uh, just as a flash. And then, and then I just thought, nah, nah, couldn't have been. So anyway, um, I uh, went home and, uh, yeah, got a message. It was a message on my phone, which is the old days. You had to press the button to listen to the message. Yep. The answering machine, yeah. Yeah. And it was, um, yeah, my partner, and she said, you know, Anthony's gone. I'm just gone. Wow. Do you know what? I reckon that day against Norwood, I had a pretty good year at 88. Uh, you know, as far as I remember, um but I think, you know, they, you know, those, which was unusual for me because I used to give the umpires a fair bit of cracking on the field, but I was in the top five or six that they thought would win the, 
Brownlow, I, I knew I had no chance because I used to give the umpires a fair bit of crack. And, uh, you know, and, but the good part in those days, they used to give it back to me and, you know, we, and carry on, you know, yep. play on. Yep. Um, and uh, so that night, I didn't sleep. I just thought, what the... I, I just didn't sleep. I went to the Norwood game and, um, again, thought I was ready. I had an ordinary one. I stood Craig Kelly. Kelly, yeah. I reckon. I reckon uh, we used to swap. <laughs> I used to play some half back. This day I'm playing some half forward, but I was pretty ordinary. I reckon I'm just guessing. I'm not too many touches. Craig was a good player, and you know, like uh, I'd probably be way better off playing some half back, and he was some half forward. But anyway, uh, it was. I was fairly ordinary, but uh, we all went back to the the Williams house yeah. that night, and. Um, yeah, I've got to say, it was a bit of a dream. You know, it's um, something that you just go, you know, oof. Yeah, some some guys, you know, well, George Fouch, who made his career out of that game. Yes, you know? it changed his whole career, very much so. Late inclusion and was probably best on ground and in a back that started off the whole, uh, you know, him and Delaney, the the, the combination yeah, from that day, yeah, which is quite incredible. Yeah. Batman no, that's, that care. is, yeah. That is true, and um, and Joe was in '88, and yeah. you know George grew uh, so much. Uh, he was playing in '87 as well. Where he played in the final two in '87, and uh, and George, I've often said, uh, he um, and I will go. You know, sorry about leaving Anthony, but one of the loveliest men you'd ever meet uh, in your life. Yeah. But George, um, yeah, George was the sort of guy that. Um, you admired the way he played. Sometimes I call him the biggest player in the arse of all time. I mean, you know, like, but the good part about George, he would, um, <laughs> I'm only saying that to stir him if he ever hears this, but uh, every time I took a mark, because I'd rather if you take a mark in the back lines because it's just come your way, give it off and let a runner go with yep. it because yep. that's what the opposition don't want. You know, so George was always there every time. So uh, he was, um, you know, I think in the 88 grand final when we beat the Bays, I reckon I, you know, slipped it off to him, you know, three or four times because he was always there. And if uh, rather than me going back and taking me time and wondering who am I going to kick it to, he's straight there and, um, and bang, away you go and get it right back at him, if you know what I'm saying. So, of course, you were all, all Australian in 1988 as well. Yeah. So, and a premiership year. So, great memories there, mate. Yeah, yeah, all good. Um, you know, I, th- I just needed uh, I needed to uh, to go. I think, uh, for, you know, like uh, you know, you're my Macca for, um, for you know, just being the Norwood man. You know, and the thing is, so you know, because you know, I'm sure Macca's a bit the same. I haven't spoken to him for a fair while, but not, I know next time he would have been exactly the same. Um, uh, I just needed to. Uh, I'd lived in the port. I uh, played for port. I worked in the port, and that's what I'm saying. I I needed to sort of uh, to try something different, and the the main reason I left, and you know, look, I I you know, the last year I had yes, membership uh, all Australian, but I needed to go and play against the best players every week. You know, you know, that was that's the only reason I left. I would have done way better financially if I stayed in Adelaide because I had a lot of contacts who wanted to set me up in business and, you know, bottle shops and, all, yep. you know, I had a lot of people, you know, but the thing is I, 
I just needed to go and play against the best players. And then, you know, like Graham Corns wrote in the paper, oh, you know, he should have gone to a better team. Well, I didn't have any choice. So I got oh, drafted. Exactly. And if I waited another year, guys, I was I was going to the end of my tether because I was 26 when I played my first game over there. And um, every week, uh, especially in the second year, because I missed buddy eight or nine with my shoulder in the first year, but every week I was playing against... Uh, a bloke that jumped going, here we go. Um, there was a time there, and I just said to me, Mrs. And I, you know, and she didn't, uh, she didn't really give the stuff about footy too much, you know. She supported me, but she, you know, she wasn't really a football sort of girl. Yep. I said, and I said to her, do you know, in the last six weeks, I've stood Gary Abbott senior because I, I went to the halfback flank to say, to stand him. I said, Brereton, Derek Brereton, it was. Um, Danaher, Terry Danaher, I thought was an absolute star. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Stephen Turnahan, um, Stuart Lowe, you know, they just, uh, and, and Wayne Carey, because he was playing them days, you know, and that's six weeks in a row. And, you know, as I used to, used to say, you didn't need an alarm clock to wake up on a Saturday morning, you know, you just go, bing, here we go, you know, like, um, but that was the reason I went away. And I know I played for, a, you know, a lowly side there for a while. Um, but you put, pick yourself against the best. And um, that was what I wanted to do. But uh, you know what? Geez, I miss Port Adelaide when I was up there. Yeah. Well, I really did because, um, you know, they're all my mates and stuff. But I just thought, oh, well, you've got an opportunity, opportunity to play against the best players in the land Absolutely. every week. And that's what, that's why I left. So, yeah. But, uh, you know, no regrets, fellas. No regrets. Absolutely. So, so between 1981 and 88, you play 150 games for, for Port Adelaide. You captained them in a, um, a premiership in 88 with uh, a bit of a star-studded lineup. I'm just looking at the team right now. Uh, you move up to Brisbane. You, you go from a traditional uh, club in Port Adelaide where it's a uh, very tight-knit, uh, everybody's sort of uh, on the same page to a uh, a new venture up into Brisbane with uh, you know not a lot of history behind it. Uh, just explain what that was like. Couldn't have been any more different. Like there's so many things I could say about that. Um, the uh, just say so that the trainers, even though there was a couple of them that um, knew their knew their football, but some trainers had no idea. You know, you know when you go to a football club. Yeah, you know, like I'm not saying they had no idea how to train, but they had no idea about, you know, about football because yep. they had to drag these people in. And, um, you know, when you're laying on, on the couch or on the bench getting a massage and the guys will be telling you, and I had Ted McMahon at Port Adelaide. He was, he was still there in the 40s, you know. When, when he, um, Ted McMahon's a legend of Port Adelaide. He was, you know, a trainer in the 40s and he was still the trainer in the early 80s, you, you know. So the stories those people can tell you and, you know, about the ghosts in the room and who's around you and that sort of stuff was uh, was fantastic. So totally different uh, up there. Uh, new new team. Um, uh, change rooms were ordinary. Uh, sort of a bunch of players. Of, um, a lot of them are still friends of mine today. Uh, probably only three or four I stay in touch with, but... Uh, a lot of guys up there as well who were on there probably the last couple of years of, of football. 
and saw an opportunity to make some reasonable sort of money and maybe didn't put in what you would have liked as a teammate. You know, and I, yeah, it's in the names there as well, but uh, it was a very different situation. I remember going to a game in, my, in 1990 and we still had rodeos next door to, uh, to Carrara. And as rodeos and um, unbelievable um, where I'd sort of uh, get into, um, get to the game and there was just fairy floss and donuts smell instead of, you know, pies and beer. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah, it was uh, so different. You know, I ran out the game against Collingwood in 1990. There was 20,000 people there and I reckon we had two and a half thousand supporters to their 17 and a half. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was a lot different, but times changed, you know, when, when we got to uh, the Gabba uh, up in Brisbane, uh, things were a little bit different. And, uh, you know, then all of a sudden recruiting was a bit different. We uh, we started to uh, uh, to get some players such as Chris Scotts and Craig McRae's, Nigel Lappins, this sort of thing. We were, uh, uh, back in the day, we were... We basically had 60 on our list and they used to drag in these kids from, you know, from country Melbourne. And uh, the poor buggers, there were seven of them living in a house on the Gold Coast. And um, and they were only making $7,000 a year at the time and their rent was paid, but they were eating baked beans on toast every day. Wow. Uh, yeah. how, how times have changed. Oh, you go back and, and ask that question. These guys were getting paid nothing and expected yeah. to perform. And it was just a real, you just, you know, I was obviously in a luckier situation. Um, but I didn't realise that until I asked some questions. And so, um, yeah, time to change. And so, yeah, we were called the Humphrey B. Bears. Uh, sometimes we called ourselves that. But at the end of the day, Every time you go out and play, because you know you you might get a busted busted up body for playing. You've got to you got to play for your mates. You got to got to play for your mates, and um, and that's what we did. Uh, I've got some really good friends from there from that era: Johnny Gastev, uh, Mark Zanotti, and um, David O'Keefe. Uh, there's a lot of you know some guys I admired a lot of guys. Roger Merritt, you know, they're really sad, you know, that he had a he had a stroke up there, and uh, you know it uh, was uh, really disappointing. Um, but um, there's uh, a lot of good people go through. Uh, it was just the time, you know. We had Christopher's case as our boss, and yeah. we, we know what happened there. Yeah. But things have got to start from somewhere, don't they? Yeah. Absolutely. So as you mentioned uh, previously, you were the number one draft pick in '86, but you didn't get to play your first game until 1989. Uh, Bit of a baptism of fire at St Kilda down at Moorabbin. <laughs> yeah, I remember some some guy sent me a text. He said, "Oh, look, I kicked ten on you." You know, I said, "Well, yeah, no, no I didn't. I didn't." That's rumour. No, he kicked six up to me to three quarter time, but um, we, they also kicked twenty four to get for the game. And he kicked nine for the game. I got moved to three quarter time and. I tried to put me somewhere else, but let me tell you, when it's coming down that many times, he kicked one hundred and thirty on that year. Um, and I remember hearing that uh, some of the Bears uh, hierarchy were going, oh, you know, well, you wait till 
because it's very Victorian, South Australian back in those days, uh, because yeah. um, uh, as it probably still is. And I can guarantee you, look this up. Um, I heard through a couple of good trainers that they overheard some guys going, oh, yeah, wait till buddy Silvani stands in next week, you know, because um, they played Carlton the next week. And uh, wait till he stands him and then, you know, we'll see who the best, you know, well, I wasn't a fullback anyway. I was in the fullback's bum off. Uh, but Silvani got 12 goals, seven kicked on him by Lockett. And can, yeah, and, yeah. And so, but but when I heard that about you know some of my own you know guys at the club, not my teammates, but I've just gone oh, really, you know like okay, you know if if the killer's going to kick twenty four in those days, you reckon Lockett's going to kick a few? Uh-huh. <laughs> You're going to go through him a few times. Absolutely. Are oh, you played under a few coaches there, uh, uh, Marty? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, you know, it was very weird. Uh, uh, Peter Knight's lovely guy, um, really, really uh, hard coach in the ways of the training and stuff. You know, like um, probably compare him to to John Carl, who who got you fit, and he was more of a more of a horse trainer sort of style coach. You, you know, he'd sometimes he you get off the field because you look good, and you'd go, "No, I want to stay on." As you now get off, and Peter Knight's was um, he was pretty brutal. You know, we train for three hours and do a lot of um, do a lot of one on one, and you'd be really knackered and have a lot of bloody cork thighs and you know even from training. So uh, Robbie Walls is very similar. You know, um, very very clued up coach, uh, but Jesus, you know, like um, I think I was probably my second half of my career up there. So. Just trying to stay in the park at training. Sometimes we had more injuries at training than we did in the game. Um, yeah, a, I think he was just trying to harden us up. But I'm thinking I'm hard enough at the moment. <laughs> I don't need to, you know, like go through uh, too much of training. I'd rather save it for the weekend. You know, I don't mind doing the miles, but not the uh, not the heavy clashes at training. But um, yeah, we we you know we we did. But as I said, it had to start from somewhere. Um, and um, you know, that's where they started from. And um, Normie Dare with yeah. a South Australian link there, West Torrens as well, mate. Yeah, uh, Normie was a good guy. Um, you know, it was uh, you know, best and fairest of the year that um, Normie coached. Yep. Um, uh, uh, just a good guy. Like you know, he's. Um, I don't think he wanted to be the coach. To be honest, I think he was more uh, suited to an assistant coach. Um, but all those guys, you know, they were good guys. You know, all the coaches that I had there. Um, Peter Feltham was uh, took over from. Um, yeah, Paul Feltham. Yep, yep. Sorry, Paul Feltham took over from um, from Knightsy, and we won um, five out of seven games. He coached for seven games. We won five of them. Yeah. So, uh, but he got sacked. Pretty yeah, unlucky not to get the gig after that. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought so. Like. Uh, yeah, but it was uh, politics and footy, guys. You know, politics and footy. That's what that's what happens. And I knew he was going to get the sack beforehand because um, someone told me. You know, they said, "What do you think of him?" And I said, "Well, I don't really know him that well personally, but uh, we just won five out of seven games." And this was uh, this was a teammate of mine at the time who was a bit older than me and had a bit of influence. And he said, "Yeah, well, I don't like him." So, uh, and I'm and I'm. 
and I'm retiring in about a month. I don't know that, but he's going to be gone before I do, <laughs> before I am. So but I'm going, yeah, okay. So, uh, you know, that's what um, that's what happens. You just, I, I was there for football, not for the other bullshit. Yep. So, yeah. And, mate, in 1990, you uh, win the um, Brisbane Club Champion? Yeah. Winning yeah. it at two different clubs. Uh, just explain how that feels. Yeah. Yeah, it feels you know, like, you know, it probably feels like good, you know, when you get it and, you know, you you know, like as all of us do, we have our, um, you know, we have our moments where we achieve a few things and if you want to just hang on to that um, that medal for the rest of your life and just, you know, like, we'll move on and try and achieve something else, you know, that, that's that's the whole thing about it really. You know, it's, um, yeah, it's good, you know, and it's good to look back on. But, um, yeah, it's like, oh, well, you know, I, I've got some bruises and, and, and a bit of blood, you know, out of, out of winning it. So, okay, thanks very much. You know, I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, love the teammates and who supported me and stuff and sort of move on. Yep. You know, like... Um, and, and you pitted yourself against the best as well. So, you know, that's that's a feather in the cap for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't, uh, don't get me wrong. I don't... Um, I'm not playing, you know, stuff down. It's just... Uh, you know, um, stuff, you know, this is, you know, a little bit unusual. I don't sort of rave on about myself too much. And, you know, I was just uh, seriously happy to to play football. Very, very, a lot of gratitude to, to play football in that era. Uh, you know, like just coming back and, you know, being in Brisbane and coming back to playing for some state sides with the, the likes of the Mike Lashes and the Gary McIntoshes and uh the Mark Maleys and the Craig Bradleys and the Stephen Kernighans and the Tony Halls and the Greg Phillipses and the Russell Johnsons, uh, you know, that was, for me, again, talking about state footy, you know, like, don't worry about Dermy, just playing with the guys that I yeah. played with. Um, you know, we'd look at their side and you'd go, Phew, that's going to be tough to beat. And we beat them quite a few times. Well, we had a great know. record there for a while. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I did well, get a message you know, at one stage, Chris Brown from the Nord History Committee, and I am actually thanking you on behalf of the Nord History Committee, but a, a message and contact you. Now, let's go for it. You just explain it completely, your link with not only the Nord Footy Club, but actually virtually the origin of football, You know, right back to the beginning of footy in South Australia. Go, Marty. Yeah, okay. Well, Topsy Waldron. Um well, you know, and you know, when I was younger, I heard the name, and you know, it was sort of, you know, my grandfather, who was his grandson, lived with us after his uh, wife died. My grandma lived with us in the 1970s, and um, uh, before he passed away, he lived with us for for about six or seven years. Um, so his name was Norm. His actual name at the time was Norm Wilkins because um, he changed his name and we are thinking, and at all, he is his grandson and my sister's gone through all, but she did 15 years of the family tree, but he changed his name to Wilkins because I, don't, I think the pressure on my grandfather was um, probably a little bit over the top because I think... <laughs> I think Topsy Waldron was, you know, like a, an icon figure at the time. My grandfather was born in 1902, 
and um, I, I'm not too sure if he was willing to um, maybe hold the mantle or because my grandfather's son, which is my uncle, he was nicknamed Topsy because of um, because of the bloodlines. You see, and uh, and so my uncle Norm played one game for Port, and my grandfather Norm he played eleven for Port Adelaide. So um, uh, so Topsy is my uh, grandfather's grandfather. Right. Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah. So uh, you know, my sister's got it all. You know, there. And if you looked at my grandfather, and if you looked at Topsy, you can you can tell. You know, we're not we're not hanging on to anything there. It's just my my sister. Like um, she did all the stuff. My sister spent fifteen years doing a family tree, and uh, it was unbelievable. I've got a a book of my mother's side and my father's side, and it's a big folder of about three inches thick. And she's done all this. I just could not believe it that she's given me me one and my other sister one um, to uh, pass on to our kids. So uh, my sister Patricia Pat. She's done a massive job. But no, Topsy Waldron, um, yeah, is my great-great-grandfather. Oh, and so, he's, a, um, he's a legendary figure, you know. His record, if you look through, is, was considered was considered in some circles the player of the colonial, best player in the colonial back then was what got called. And, yeah, he, his record is quite incredible. Yeah, it is. It is. And, um, you know, it's uh, you know, a long time before my time and... Um, you know, it's just nice to be nice to be uh, you know uh, part of you know the old Norn history as well because um, Norn's a, a team that I always admired and respected as well. Oh, we so, think um, we should have got you under the great great grand grandfather, whatever you, know, you want to call it, <laughs> rule, mate. Yeah. <laughs> I think my mum would have torn strips off me if I went that way. No. Yeah. Uh, Mate, obviously some uh, fantastic State of Origin teams as well. I'm just having a little bit of a, a look over the, uh, the, the some of the teams and, you know, playing with the, the Kernahans and the McGuinnesses and the Tony Halls. And, mate, it's just a golden era of, of you know, SA footy and, and to be to be part of it would have just been amazing. Yeah, no, it was. And, and also, you know, every time you roll it up, you know, you're playing Glenelg and Glenelg and, you know, I'm standing Kernahan, which I did most of the time, and you've got Tony Hall, who I stood once Kernahan uh, left. Uh, uh, you know, uh, you've got Tony McGuinness and Chris McDermott, and you know they had. You know, every team had some really good footballers, and so you know uh, to come back and play with them all at the same time was uh, yeah, it was just a pleasure. Really, I remember going to. I'd already played a few state games. I'd gone back to to Brisbane, and to be honest, we had you know we probably didn't have a really good good full side. We probably had probably twelve, thirteen maybe players who were good enough to play AFL or VFL at the time. Mm-hmm. But then you come back to South Australia and you play uh, train for State of Origin. The ball wouldn't touch the ground. Yeah, the ball just didn't touch the ground. And then you go, how good? How much fun's this? Where um, when you go, you know, you go back to your AFL team, and uh, you know where it was, you know, a fair bit different. So um, no, it was just a pleasure. You know, it was just a pleasure. You can go out, look around the ground before the ball balls bounce, and you've got um, absolute stars on the um, 
on the Victorian side and you've got absolute stars in, in your team. So you're going, okay, here we go, bounce the ball, let's see what happens. You know, and um, uh, it was good fun. You know, that's what I try to say to young kids, you know, when I was coaching them or some other great country sides when I've coached, you know, like just want, just be wanting to play against the best, you know, like that's that's the whole thing. It's just like, you know, if you're, oh, I'm really nervous. Oh, great, because if you're not, it means nothing to you, you know. So what, do you, what have your so, footy involvements been and, or since you've uh, finished up your career, mate? Oh, pretty much country stuff. Mainly when I when I retired from Brisbane, I um, I was I was cooked, sort of physically and mentally. Uh, physically, my back was gone, so I had an operation on my back. About um, I only played four games in my last year. You know, I had four epidurals in my back in the last year I played just to try and keep me on the park, but that didn't really cut the mustard. So I had two prolapse discs, which I had operated on a couple of years after I retired. Um, so I was just away from footy and I suppose living in Brisbane, it was pretty easy to do, you know, where it was just easy to be away. I'd probably pop out to training every now and then, see a couple of teammates and, you know, just bob in and bob out. And, but I just, I was sort of over it. Yep. I was over it. So, um, I just, just went to work for Qantas in the cargo, uh, area up there in Brisbane and it was normal. Normal, just dad, you know, had a, you know, a couple of young kids under five years old, and and um, yeah, just a dad, and you know, I didn't really. I remember a couple of times they got me on the radio, you know, to commentate a couple of games, and I, I think I maybe made out pretty well, but I I wasn't much watching much football, and I was commentating Hawthorne in the when was that late eight, late nineties when they weren't that flash and I probably didn't know half the bloody players out there so I wasn't taking a lot of notice you know of footy at the time and it was a nice break when I came back yep. to South Australia and I started coaching the Barossa uh, coach Newry Newry uh, for a couple of years in the Barossa there and um, uh, then um, yeah. Marriage split up, so I ended up coming over to Port Lincoln to uh, to follow my kids and be close to my kids. So I coached a couple of country, you know, like uh, up in near Cummins Way, team like Yolanda for, for a couple of years, and had a couple of years at Boston's in Port Lincoln, and then after that, probably ten years of juniors, you know, yep. um, just the fifteens uh, and seventeens and that sort of stuff. So. Um, uh, yeah, so I've sort of, you know, that, and that finished about two or three years ago. And, um, yeah, so, you know, I still I do a little bit of sprint training and coordination, which I learned from Billy Noonan. I don't know if you know, yes, guys yes, know Billy. Yes. Famous yeah. person. Yep. Yeah, I used to do a lot of sprint training with Billy yeah. and um, and he, he just he taught me so much in a small amount of time. So I, I used that because I was, you know, obviously never – that fast, but I, I became adequate through um, through Bill, and um, so I teach that to young kids, you know, when they when they need it as well, you do a one on one or a group of six or something like that. But uh, yeah, a bit low, pretty low key, you know. Don't need too much to, uh, you know, don't need much uh, headlines, you know. Luckily enough, I had a bit in me time, had me fifteen minutes of time. <laughs> 
Mate, uh, absolutely fantastic to uh, hear from you tonight, mate. Um, we've we've covered a whole range of topics today, but, uh, mate, we could have gone on forever there. That's uh, some fantastic insight, in, not only into your career, but obviously since, uh, since uh, finishing up as well. Mate, thank you very much for your time tonight, and uh, we look forward to catching up with you at some stage. Greatly appreciate it, uh, mate. Thanks, Malcolm. Thanks, Peter. No, it's been good. No, thanks for the, you know having me on. Fantastic. Thanks, mate. Thank you, mate. Cheers, boys.